0: So we're, we're in a series, and we're asking the question and looking and exploring what it means to be human. What does it look like to be fully human, fully alive? And Jesus announces in what are called the Beatitudes and gives us a picture of what that looks like. What does it mean to be in relationship with one another? He announces that these are the kinds of people that are going to certainly resonate with what I'm about in the world. So we're going to read through the Beatitudes together as we've been doing all summer long and we'll continue to stay kind of rooted right in the Beatitudes. But I'm going to do something a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to have you read the first couple of verses and then I'm going to read the Beatitudes and I want you to just listen to them as we ruminate in them. So if we could pull up that next slide. And if you would read the first four lines, then I'll read the rest and we can just listen. So let's begin. Are you with me? Okay, good. Let's go. Now. (laughs) I like how you finally found each other. It's good. Sinking up. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to sit with just one beatitude today, and we're going to talk about meekness. And I want to just reiterate what that beatitude is. It says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Some translations say they will inherit the earth. Another way to phrase this, and I want you to listen very carefully, is blessed are the gentle and the trusting... Who are not grasping and clutching, am I talking to anybody in the room? For God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. So the question remains that we're gonna explore this morning, and then we're gonna go through and we're gonna talk about what meekness is and isn't, how we can cultivate it in our lives, and then we're gonna do a writing practice at the very end. So if you didn't get a sheet of paper, With a couple of questions on it. I want to make sure if you want to raise your hand, Darby can make sure that you get those so that you will be invited to write some things down at the end of our gathering as we reflect back on what we've heard. So we're going to explore what meekness is, what it is not. We're going to explore how to cultivate it in our lives. We're going to be centralized right in Matthew chapter five, looking at this one beatitude, but we're also going to be looking at Psalm 37. So you might want to just write that down as a reference point because it's important to what we'll be talking about this morning. So what is meekness? And have you ever met somebody who you would define as meek? And the question is, is like, when I meet a meek person, do I know that I'm in the presence of somebody who is meek? I think it's one of those things that we know when we meet a meek person. We're not quite sure how to define it, but we just go, that's meekness. Whatever it is, that's it. That's I'm in the presence of meekness. So how do we know? It's just something that we intuit or is it something that we understand? And then the question of how do we cultivate this meekness in our lives, because I think it is something that we can cultivate. I think it's something that we can work on with intention and a deliberate posture of how we bring more meekness into our lives. So let's begin by naming what meekness is not, so that we're all clear, all right? First and foremost, meekness is not a naturally phlegmatic temperament. Not just somebody who's phlegmatic, somebody who's just chill, Somebody who's mild-mannered, that doesn't necessarily equate to that's a meek person because they have a phlegmatic personality. It is not indecision. It is not laziness. It is not fragility, loose sentimentalism. It is not indifference or someone who is just good-natured and friendly, okay? And hear this. Meekness is most emphatically not weakness. Get that in your head. So what is it? What is meekness? Well, we find the word meekness in what are called the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul later lists in the book of Galatians as one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. He calls it gentleness in his particular list. And a quick definition so that we understand what meekness is, is we could say that meekness is strength under control. Now, in the Hebrew Scriptures, what the Hebrew writers do is they use a lot of metaphor and images to describe what a word is. It's the beauty of the language. And the way in which they describe meekness is they liken it unto a bit that you place into the mouth of a horse. Now, question for you. If you place a bit into the mouth of the horse, what is the purpose of that bit? Anyone? Control, steering, anything else? Communication. Communication, thank you, Pete. So without that bit in the horse's mouth, would you want to ride a horse? Oh, you would? OK, great. We'll talk afterwards. <laughs> but the bit is a, is a way of honing in all of that power, right? It's a way of controlling. It's a way of steering. But I think the beauty of placing the bit in the mouth of a horse is it takes all of that power and focuses it. It becomes more deliberate. It becomes more focused. It actually accomplishes more. The strength of the animal isn't depleted. It just becomes more intentional and more focused. Without the bit, the outcome could potentially be dangerous. It could be catastrophic. It could lead you in all kinds of different directions. But then we jump over to the book of James, and James is a writer in the New Testament. And James starts to talk about the tongue. Did you know that this thing, this sucker right here gets us into all kinds of trouble? Have you uh, noticed? This particular thing that's in our mouths has been the cause of so much pain and so much joy and so much division. It has brought war on the earth. This thing is really, really hard to control. And James, as he's writing, he's trying to get us to understand the power of the tongue. He says in James chapter 3, verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship, for example. Although they are so large... And driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, are you, are you like feeling your tongue right now? Just get, get in touch with your tongue for a moment. The tongue is the small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humanity, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You're like, James, what do you really mean? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Savior, our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's very likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Think about an unbridled tongue for a moment. Untamed, unbridled, loose, just free to roam, free to say whatever it feels in the moment. And think about the amount of pain that has been caused by the tongue, even from our own lives, the amount of division and destruction that we have caused. But what about a bridled tongue? What about a meek tongue, a tongue that's held together by a bit? I remember two significant times in my life, there were two women who said something to me that was really hard for me to hear, but it came from a place of meekness, not weakness. One of the women that said it to me is actually coming to visit us tomorrow. I'll remind her of this story. But she said this to me just out of the blue one day. She said, Why do you feel the need to always be right? Oh, you know you squirm when somebody asks you a pleasant question. And then this other woman, Maria, asked me a question years ago, and she said, John, what are you so angry about? And inside I'm like, I'm not angry, I'm just chill. What are you so angry about? Both of those questions went in differently. I didn't experience those questions as wounds. I didn't experience those questions as attacks. I experienced those questions as somebody who had care for my life and my soul. I experienced both of those questions from what I would define as meekness was difficult to say. It was strength under control. It was very deliberate. It was honed in. It was truth, but it was a different kind of truth, if you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes people tell the truth, and they say, well, I'm just telling you the truth, but you know it's like something underneath it, and it's not coming from a place of love or a place of meekness. But with this particular question, these questions, they were deliberate. They were focused. They were helpful. They went in. It felt kind of like a scalpel. You know, when a a scalpel, they go in for surgery, and they cut, and it hurts, but the only way in is to cut in, but it's very concise. It's very precise. It's very focused, deliberate, healing, wrapped in love is what it felt like. So what do words wrapped in meekness feel like? What do they sound like? Do you know when you're doing it? Do you know when you're on the receiving end of it? Do you speak with a meek tongue, or do you speak with a sharp tongue? I believe that when we receive a question or somebody is meek, comes and asks us something about our lives or they see something in us that needs to change, it actually invites us toward healing. Not condemnation, not shame, not judgment, but invites us toward healing. So this got me thinking, how do I cultivate this in my life? How do I become more meek? How do we cultivate it in our community as a church? Because it's not just something that's going to be sprinkled down from heaven, and then all of a sudden it's going to control our motivational centers in our hearts. But it's got to come from something. And I started to think about, well, what does meekness spring from? What does it launch from? And as I thought about it, I think meekness springs from trust, You know, uh, back in the 80s, how many of you people in the room were alive in the 80s? Do you remember the 80s, that decade, that primo decade? Uh, There was a, a movement among women called the Jane Fonda workout system, and they had these little tiny mini trampolines. Do you remember these things? They were probably about this big around. And so my mom got a mini trampoline, and I thought, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right? Because that's like, that's a launching pad for somebody at my age. I was probably around seven or eight. At the age of seven or eight, I was a huge Detroit Pistons fan. Grew up in in Detroit and loved the Pistons, went to the games and watching these people dunk. What seven-year-old, eight-year-old doesn't want to dunk the basketball? It's like, okay, so this launching pad became my dunking pad, and I would put it outside when my mother wasn't looking, because she didn't want me to take it outside, because that would ruin it, but while she wasn't looking or busy doing something, I'd put it out right in front of the basket, and I would launch from this thing, and I was able to dunk the basketball (laughs) with the mini trampoline. That's what I did with it. It wasn't a workout mechanism for me, it was a launching pad. And I thought about that thing that I was launching from. Every time I hit that pad, I was launching from something that actually helped me to achieve my goal. It got me to my my desired outcome, because I was launching from something that I knew was going to project me forward, and it made me think about, well, what am I I launching from in life? What am I jumping from when I move into relationships? When When I speak to another human being, when I interact with my family, what am I launching from. And when I launch from trust, knowing that that thing that I'm jumping from is going to help me, is going to, to give me the strength to achieve the outcome that I desire, then all kinds of things can come from launching from a place of trust. So I thought about meekness. I think meekness begins with trust. We launch from trust. So if I launch from a place of trust, guess what? I don't have to scheme. I don't have to win every argument. Are you listening? I don't, have to, I don't have to control the outcome if I'm launching from a place of trust. I can serve somebody above myself because I know that my foundation is always going to be there, even if I don't get what I think I deserve. Now think about the implications of trusting God. We talk about it a lot in Christianity. We, like, we tell people you just need to trust God more Uh, You're clearly not trusting God, and we're like, I'm not really sure how to do that or what that actually looks like. I think I'm trusting God, but I'm not totally sure. But think about the implications of trusting God. When you trust God, you don't have to strive. You don't have to demand. You don't have to command that your needs be met. You can communicate when your needs are not being met with somebody that you know can meet those needs but you do not have to manipulate another person in order to get what you need. Now, imagine going through life, not having to strive in order to control the outcome. Now, while it's true that meekness is something that is expressed towards others, I think meekness begins with our attitude towards God, bringing it down to the grassroots level. Jesus announces the meek, are blessed. And the reason why the meek are blessed, Jesus says, that when heaven comes to earth, they're going to get their share. Think about the implications of that. Or think about it like this. The meek are blessed because they live with a deep assurance that their past, present, and future are in the hands of God. So this comes back to a question for me. What am I launching from? Think about the implications of trust, trusting God first and foremost, and how that affects my relationships. I no longer live with this need to control the relationship because I have a deep assurance that my past, present, and future are all in the hands of God. If I approach my job, my career, my interaction with fellow workers and launch into each day striving to be number one or striving to make sure that I get my peace and I get my recognition, don't you think that's exhausting? That's exhausting. Aren't you tired of having to be in control? You don't have to answer that question, but I want you to think about it. Aren't you tired of it? Which raises a really important question Question, what is keeping you from opening up your grip that you've clenched down so tightly on this thing that you're trying to control? What is keeping you from relinquishing that and letting that go? Hear the words of Jesus once again. This is the posture. These are the people that are going to most resonate with Jesus and what he is about in the world. Hear this. Those who are poor at being spiritual are going to be blessed. Those who carve out space and make room for mourning and grieving to be a part of our experience as human beings are going to be satisfied and comforted. Those who hunger and thirst and ache how the world and how warped it actually is, those people are going to experience joy. Those people are going to be part of what I'm up to in the world. Those who don't waste their precious time judging others, but extend mercy, compassion, and care because they know I only have so much energy to give in each and every day. And I don't want to waste my time judging others. Those who step into the middle of two parties that are in conflict in order to bring those parties together are called peacemakers. Jesus then proclaimed and announced who would be most thrilled with the arrival of his government. Now, Psalm 37. Some really interesting things that the psalmist says here, but listen very carefully to how the author begins to write and talk about trust. The author says, do not fret because those who are evil Or be envious of those who do wrong, for they are like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon pass away. Now, all of us understand this in theory, but there are three things that we cannot control in life. You ready? People, places, things. You can't control those things. Really, when it comes down to it, anything outside of this, your skin, you don't have control over You get to choose how you respond to things, you get to choose how you react when something doesn't go the way that you think it should go or you begin to lose control, you get to choose how you respond to that, but you can't control the outcome. So I get to choose and I get to practice every day the art of letting go. I get to live with open hands, I get to entrust my friends, my co-workers, my family into the loving care of God each and every day. That means my daughter and my son who are a little bit more closer to the heart than everybody else in the world. But I get to entrust them into the loving care of God. I get to entrust my own life into the loving care of God. Not striving, not scheming, not manipulating, not trying to control the outcome or living with the false notion that I can control people, places, and things or that I should even attempt to control those things. Maybe a beatitude for those of us who like control would be this. Miserable are those who strive and scheme and live with the false notion that I can keep a tight grip on every situation that I encounter. The psalmist goes on to say in chapter 37, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Those who are evil will be destroyed but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Uh, What? Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Doesn't that sound like a beatitude? Let's bring meekness down to a street level. Meekness means this, and I want you to hear this. Meekness means that you don't have to take every promotion that comes your way. Meekness means that you don't have to get into the right school. It means that you don't have to win every argument. It means that you don't have to compromise what you know to be true in order to get what you think you need. If the meek will inherit the earth, this raises some big questions for us. How much wealth do we need to acquire? How much recognition will actually satisfy you. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Here's another way of hearing this. Blessed are those who are willing to surrender their needs, their dreams, and their fears to God, for they will inherit the earth. They will get everything that they need. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to take your left hand for a moment and just relax it, like no tension, just like almost letting it just, whatever that word is, just do that, let it go, and I want you to take your right hand and I want you to clench down as hard as you can and hold it, clench, grip, really grasp. The question is, is how do you want to live? How do you want to be in the world? Do we want to live with the tension and the need to control, with a tense neck and a tense shoulder blades, all the things that we're trying to grip onto, trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to strive and scheme, or do we want to live with an open hand? I'm going to invite you into a practice to enter into this week as we walk in the way of Jesus together. And I want you to pull out your sheet of paper for a moment. And we're going to take a few moments to write. If you don't have a pen, that's okay. You can write later or maybe sit with this as you invite God to guide you and direct you. But I want you to hear this for a moment and sit with this thought. Trying to... Capture meekness in a statement. How does this set with you? Meekness is having hands that are extended towards God instead of grasping after lesser things. Hands that are open to receiving whatever God gives instead of clenching tightly to something we believe we need. Hands that are extended to God instead of grasping after lesser things. Notice that I did not say bad things. I said lesser things. Do not equate lesser with bad. That's not always the case. Sometimes the trick in life is that we're grasping after even good things, but we're still trying to control them and still trying to get things from them that they're not designed to give us. But having open hands that are reaching up to God, hands of surrender that are saying, I'm going to trust and I'm going to launch from this place of trust because I know that where I land there's going to be something solid for me to hit. So as we think about these implications, I want you to answer a couple of questions. What lesser things are you grasping after? Take a few moments to identify what those are. And then the second question is, what person, place, or thing are you refusing to let go of? And then on the back of your paper, just write the word inherit. Think about the implications of inheriting something. You don't have to earn it. It's just simply for who you are, you get it. Inherit. No striving, no scheming. You just get it because you're a child of God. And what does that mean? What do we get? So work... And then maybe ask yourself the question, what is keeping me from my inheritance?